Blog Talk Radio. Welcome. You're listening to Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio with your host, Darren Fatman McDuck. And now, prepare to get fat. What's cracking? Welcome back to another episode. It's going to be a good episode. We're actually talking about sex tonight. It's one of those topics people tend to avoid, but everybody likes sex. Maybe not everybody, but a, lo- a large majority of us like sex. But again, I'm your host, Darren Fatman McDuffie, and this episode is being brought to you by I'mTheFatMan.com. Tonight we have um, Dr. Lori Steelsmith on the show, and we we're going to be talking about her book, Great Sex Naturally. But before I get her on, I um, just wanted to make a few announcements. Again, guys, do me a huge favor. I'm going to keep asking for this because I know that a lot of you are downloading these uh, episodes on iTunes, and the way that iTunes actually uh, reviews people or puts people up there, puts people up to for podcasts, recommendations is through review. So if you're listening through the podcast through Apple, please leave me a review. Good, bad, indifferent, whatever, but please leave a review. Like I said, I, it's my goal to get this podcast in front of a lot of uh, other people who may have not uh, heard the podcast before. There's a ton of different podcasts out there. There's some that are on what I would call the upper echelon, and then there's some that are down Below and there's nothing wrong with that. I want to be one of those people who are up up on the upper echelon. I put a lot of work into this and scheduling people, and really asking the right questions. And like I said, I really want to bring the most in-depth, up to date information to uh, the audience. So again, if you're listening to to Apple um, on the podcast through iTunes, rather, please leave a review. Um, Last week's show was a really good show, really vulnerable show. Um, We had. Big Girl, Kelsey Miller, the title of her book was Big Girl, How I Gave Up Dieting and Got a Life. And that was a really vulnerable interview. Kelsey shared a lot about herself. I don't know if I would have had the courage to even write a book like that. She she uh, shared that she had a sexually transmitted disease. She was molested at an early age in her um, relationship with her mom. I haven't. I don't even know, like I said, if I could share all of that and and be really and put it out there uh, for people to read about it. But she did it, and it was a really good interview that I had with her. So go and check that interview out. Uh, Again, it's called Kelsey Miller, Big Girl, and that was last Wednesday. Really fun show to do. Also really revealing show, and it brought back a lot of um, memories personal memories of things that I went through um, just by reading her book. So I would uh, really recommend reading the book. So tonight, let's get into this uh, Dr. Laurie Steelsmith's book, which is uh, Great Sex Naturally. And Dr. Laurie Steelsmith graduated from Bastyr University in Seattle, Washington, with her doctorate in naturopathic medicine, Master of Science in Acupuncture, and Bachelor of Science in Natural Health Sciences. She's the medical director of Steel Smith Natural Health Center, a state-of-art healing center for natural medicine. Dr. Steel Smith is also the co-author of the Hawaii best-selling book, Natural Choices for Women's Health, which we'll be talking about, and Great Sex Naturally, which that's what we're actually talking about tonight. Both are step-by-step guides for women to enhance their health and the quality of their lives. While respected for her views on natural medicine, Dr. Steel Smith has appeared on CNN's Health Watch, Fox and NBC news affiliates, and has been interviewed on over 100 national radio programs. She is frequently quoted in popular magazines, including Women's World, Self, Women's Day, Natural Health, Women's Health, Whole Life Times, Body and Soul, the list goes on and on, Let's Live, Better Nutrition, Vegetarian Times, Alternative Medicine, WebMD, Health First for Women, On Fitness and Delicious Living. And I hope this is her in the switchboard. Welcome to Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio, Dr. Steele Smith. Thank you. <laughs> Great. Thank you so much. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for coming on. You have, I think, one of the longest bios, but one of the best written bios I've had the pleasure of reading on air. 
(laughs) (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I could have added a lot more, but we had to draw the line someplace, right? Yeah, yeah, but it's a really well-written bio. Usually I'm, I have to go in and edit some bios because some of the stuff is, you know, you like you have to leave it out on air, but really well-written bio, and it's a testament to um, all that you, you know, you've accomplished. So that's great. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. I'm a real um, evangelist for natural health and for helping people to make the healthiest choices that they can so that they can live the highest quality of life. Great. Let's um, get into your origin. I'm a big superhero fan, and when I used to get comic books uh, as a kid, they would have the superheroes in there, and they would have their origin if they were from a different planet, if they were from you know, <laughs> wherever they were from. But let's get into your origin. How did you get into natural health, Dr. Steelsmith? You know, honestly, I met my first naturopathic doctor when I was 16 years old. I was working in a health food store, and I just remember saying to him, how do I want to know everything that you know? How do I go and learn about this kind of medicine? And I found out that there was a school in Oregon, and I didn't end up attending that school. I actually attended a school in Seattle. Um, I had some incredible opportunity to um, live in Europe when I was 16, and then again when I was 17 for a year when I was 17 in Germany, and was exposed to a whole new way of life. And you know how when you're a young person, you end up wanting to become many different things. So I thought I was going to be a flight attendant, or I thought I was going to be um, a marine biologist. (laughs) And I just remember I was at University of Connecticut. I was taking some courses in chemistry, and then I took a nutrition class. And, you know, it's just like, oh, my gosh, I really want to learn about nutrition. Like, that is really where my passion is. And then um, I ended up going out west. I went to a school out on the west coast. My advisor was on the board at Bastyr, which is the naturopathic college. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I ended up going to Bastyr first as a nutrition student, and it was just, you know, honestly, it was just my calling. It was it was my calling, and I've been in practice now for 23 years in Hawaii, and I absolutely love what I'm doing. I just, every single day, see my patients getting better using techniques that are quite simple. Every, You know, and I do a, a wide variety of things, from nutrition to hormone therapy to um, something called neural prolotherapy or perineural injection technique. I do prolotherapy. I do acupuncture. And, and I have a very eclectic practice. You know, one day I'm doing, one part of one day I'm doing gynecology and the other part of the day I'm, I'm doing some, you know, injectables or I'm doing IV therapies or IV nutrients. So it's a really exciting field. And um, for those of you out there that are listening, um, if you're interested in pursuing a career in naturopathic medicine or in natural medicine, it, it is an extraordinarily rewarding rewarding career. Yeah, funny you mention that. I remember when I was a kid, I would always go to the barber shop, and my barber would ask me what I wanted to be when I, I grew up, and I always told him I wanted to be a doctor. And it just so happens that I got into the pharmaceutical industry, and then now, you know, doing these interviews and, and speaking to a lot of people who are in who are naturopaths and medical doctors and MDs, I know that my path is, is still going into evolving into to nutrition but i'm here in south florida which i know a lot of people are envious of me because it's warm here most of the time but i'm more envious of you because you're in hawaii so, <laughs> well it's pretty beautiful here too <laughs> yeah, how did you manage to get into hawaii did you do like a residency there or i did exactly i came here in 1993 to do a residency i thought we'd you know my husband and i would be here maybe a year or two and you know, when you've just found your place, it was like just the doors just kind of opened for me here. And um, I've been here ever since. And I now train young doctors who are just getting out of school, and I give them, re- you know, I, I provide a residency program for them. And um, I think that every state in the country needs to have naturopathic physicians, and every person in the country should have a naturopathic doctor as part of their health team. Yeah, I I wish we could. I I think they're outlawed here in South Florida. I actually have a friend who is a a naturopathic doctor, but she doesn't practice that side because they're not allowed here in the state of Florida. But I wish that they they would have them. Um, Let's get into your book. Um, Great, great sex naturally. Mm -hmm. And one of the common complaints with men, mostly with women, you see a lot of this, is just 
fatigue. A lot of women have fatigue and then fatigue to me actually transfers into low libido because you're not going to want to have sex if you're constantly tired. But why are women more susceptible to having that low fatigue and then also having that kind of transpire into uh, low libido? You know, I think there are so many reasons why women have fatigue and, and also why men have fatigue. And I would say that, like, one of the underlying causes is that people, A, are just doing far too much than they really should be doing. And I think I'm probably guilty of that as well. Um, but I But I also think that, you know, good health is actually quite simple. If you have a good, strong foundation of health and you eat really good food, you exercise regularly, you're taking the garbage out of your body or detoxifying adequately, and you're getting enough sleep and have a good sort of mental, emotional life, you know, good support system, et cetera, then you've got a really good, strong foundation of health. And, you know, if one of these pillars of health is lacking, then, you know, it's kind of like you don't really have a very stable foundation. And, um, you know, I, I know that a lot of people think that a bunch of pills and potions are what create, you know, your health, and it just, it just isn't. That is not where good vitality and good health comes from. It really comes from eating a really vital diet with live foods, having adequate and, and, you know, exercise that actually challenges your muscles and creates micro tears so that you increase growth hormone. Um, it's really important you're removing the toxins from your body. You know, if you don't take the garbage out, like you know in South Florida, <laughs> things mm-hmm. get pretty disgusting. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, same thing in Hawaii. But if you, you know, if you regularly take the garbage out of your house, then, then things kind of flow, right? Things are clear. Things don't get stinky. And the same thing is true with our bodies. We need to take the garbage out of our bodies, which means that we need to have really good liver detoxification. And when the liver isn't working very well, then you're not going to have good hormone conjugation. You're going to have lower libido, you're going to have more PMS, you're going to have more bloating, you're going to have more weight gain. Um, You know, really, basically, when your liver's not working well, nothing's working well, because your liver is your big filter. And then also, if you're not getting enough sleep, if you're not taking care, you know, doing good housekeeping on your mental, emotional life, then... Also, you know, you're, you're not going to be feeling very good. You're not going to be able to make the healthiest choices. And, you know, we all go into finals, right? We all go into what we call finals week or we have periods of, you know, higher stress. And then this is the time that we really need to shore up our diet, our exercise, and our detox because, you know, we're, we're maybe not getting enough sleep or we're having to push too hard for that period of time. But just make sure that you also get that recovery time. So when we're looking at fatigue, you know, we've really got to look at our hormones, how well um, – what's happening with our hormones, because if we are super stressed, we're going to be releasing a lot of cortisol. Cortisol is our stress hormone. We release that to compensate for stressful events in our lives and to be able to show up for stressful events in our lives. But when the adrenals have to put out cortisol all the time, then what happens is that, unfortunately, the adrenals then end up getting exhausted, and then they don't release that cortisol. And then what can happen is the body will start to release adrenaline. And when it starts to release adrenaline, then people can start to have a lot more anxiety Mm -hmm. or some people don't release adrenaline they end up actually just getting really really exhausted and they're not able to sleep at night because of the imbalances that are occurring in their body because their hormones um you know for women in particular and and my book great sex naturally it's there is a chapter in it for men and for women to understand what men are going through as they go through time with their hormones and their sexuality. But the book is called Every Woman's Guide to Enhancing Her Sexuality Through the Secrets of Natural Medicine. And I devote a whole chapter to understanding hormones because hormones are super critical to how we feel, what we think. I mean, I think every woman listening could attest to what it feels like when you're in a crazy PMS time, and it's like you are just not yourself. But some women feel like that all the time, and especially as they start to approach menopause, that those symptoms can get even more and more and more exaggerated. And the other piece is weight gain. You know, when our hormones are off, we're going to start gaining weight. So for women who are pushing the envelope all the time, they tend to release a lot of cortisol. The cortisol then triggers these receptors on um, where there's a lot of cortisol receptors, okay, like in the abdomen and the thighs, women start to gain a lot more weight there. The cortisol also impacts thyroid, and thyroid hormone is super important for the metabolism of every single cell in your body. And if you don't have uh, very good metabolism, you are going to start doing what? You're going to start gaining weight. And um, so mitigating stress or at least being able to balance it out 
with other things like diet, exercise, making sure you're taking the garbage out of the body fairly effectively. Um, you are able to prevent weight gain. You're able to sail through perimenopause and menopause. Um, and and you, can try to, you can prevent the weight gain that starts to happen, you know, in your late 30s and 40s. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because it seems like women have more problems with their hormones as they age. But can you kind of explain what happens uh, for women? Because I know women have more uh, uh, episodes hormonally than men do, and things change from your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, and beyond. But can you kind of get into a little bit of what changes occur during those years? Oh, sure. Yeah, I'd love to do that. So I kind of think of this as sort of um, uh, on a timeline. Let's just talk about women in their 20s. Women in their 20s, if they've got that good foundation of health that we've been talking about, right, they're eating well, they're exercising, the garbage is getting out of their bodies, they're sleeping, you know, they're, they're taking good care of themselves mentally, emotionally, they usually have fairly uneventful cycles, menstrual cycles, fairly, fairly uneventful periods. But if they, if they are starting to experience PMS at that time, which is called premenstrual syndrome, and there's many different types of PMS. One of them is um, where women can start to get more depressed, other ones where women start to get, um, you know, that they want to eat all the time and they feel very hungry. Um, there's another type of PMS where they feel a lot of fatigue. Um, so, so when women have a lot of PMS and, and mood changes and emotional lability during that time, um, typically what we're seeing is, too much estrogen compared to progesterone, or they're just not putting out a robust corpus luteum when they ovulate, okay? Now, typically, women in their 20s, they are going to be ovulating. And that means at mid-cycle, a, a ripe follicle releases an egg, and along with that is this tissue mass that releases progesterone. And progesterone is kind of a calming and balancing hormone. And basically, what estrogen does is it's quite hyperproliferative, so it helps to build up the lining of the uterus. And what progesterone does is actually kind of compete with that lining of the uterus. Um, estrogen also has impacts on serotonin, and serotonin is our feel-good hormone that helps us to sleep well at night, that gives us a happy mood, okay? And PMS is often associated with um, precipitous drops in estrogen, and it can also be associated with drops in progesterone, Okay, as I see women going to their 30s, especially their later 30s, typically if there's a lot more sort of premenstrual syndrome or even um, ovulatory uh, mood changes, okay, because some women can have ovulatory mood changes um, because hormones are shifting at that time as well then we can start to see lower progesterone, especially lower progesterone. Now, what's really interesting about estrogen is that it, it is such our friend and it's such our foe. Just the right amount is really our friend. Too little, we get really crabby. We tend to have low serotonin symptoms, which would mean more depression, more uh, craving for foods, um, especially sweets. Um, we tend to, to feel just much more... Um, and anxious and full of anxiety. And when we have too much estrogen, we start to feel bloated and kind of, can, you know, some women can gain like 10 pounds in water weight prior to their periods. And then once they get their cycle, then they seem to lose it all. Um, you know, this is called estrogen dominance, where there's too much estrogen compared to the progesterone. And that often happens in our later 30s. So we have high estrogen, moderately low progesterone, but it's the imbalance that's um, taking place that's causing all of these kinds of symptoms. And so some ways to mitigate that, you know, if we come back to our foundation of health, you know, there are a lot of foods that people, that women eat that can, you know, increase estrogen in their bodies. And, you know, I think that eating conventional chicken is probably not such a great idea. Eating mm -hmm. conventional beef is not such a great idea. Um, I think that, you know, women are maybe eating too much fat and um, eating too much, well, it depends on what kind of fat. Like we could have a lot of um, discussion about that. So I think I'm going to drop that concept. But I think yeah, it's what we really need what? to look at. You know Mm -hmm. I was actually mm -hmm. going to ask you about that, the effect okay. of uh, having specifically, this is what I've, I've noticed in just speaking with people and people asking me questions because I've been studying nutrition for a, a fairly long amount of time. But I've noticed that women kind of gravitate more towards 
the veg the the vegetarian side where they don't eat a lot of meat whereas males eat more meat and then uh also um women tend to not to to stay away from fat you know but let's talk a little bit about that because you brought it up and I was going to ask you about it anyway but the animal oh, okay. protein what what are your your thoughts on just getting animal protein in the diet and also I know that you know you want to stay away from the crazy fats but the good fats and how they might add especially with you know the hormones for for women okay i'm going to answer the second question first mm-hmm. and the the second question is that when women take in really favorable fats like evening primrose oil, they can have a profound effect on their hormones. Okay? It can create less inflammation in the body. When women are ingesting more fish oils and flax oils, it makes their cell membranes more flexible, more, flexible, more permeable or selectively permeable. Um, it affects cholesterol levels. It decreases inflammation. So these friendly fats are very hormonally friendly. Okay, Um, women need enough cholesterol, like people trying to get their cholesterol down to 120, 130. I don't think that's such a great idea because you need cholesterol to make hormones. Healthier people have adequate cholesterol, like 150, 160. I do not want to see my patients with a cholesterol of 120. Recently, I had a young woman come into my office and she's vegan raw and she eats no fat, no salt. She weighs 93 pounds. She's a tiny, you know, petite Japanese woman. But when I looked at her diet, and oh, and she's having hair loss, okay? And I just said to her, mm-hmm. you are not eating any protein. She goes, well, vegetables have protein. I was like, they have minute amounts of protein, but not adequate amounts to be supporting things like nail growth and, and uh, hair growth and um, immune system function and tissue healing. So, um you know, I, I think that I'm really an advocate of somebody eating a balanced diet for their body type. And, you know, for women, if you look at, like, the RDA for protein, a 115-pound woman needs about 42 grams of protein a day. And that could come in a piece of fish and a few nuts and seeds and some broccoli, and she'll have enough protein, right? Whereas mm-hmm. a man, they're much bigger in general, not always, but men tend to be bigger. They have more muscle mass. They need much more protein based on their activity level and based on their body size. So in terms of protein, we definitely need, you know, people need to eat according to what they need for their bodies, and there isn't a one-size-fit-all. There are people who can be completely vegetarian or there can be vegan, and actually they can do it and they can be very healthy, but you have to be super conscious of where you're getting your nutrients from. Um, And then there are people who can be paleo, and that fits their body type because, you know, we have, we we know that people can be epigenetically um, manipulated, and what that means is that, you are born with a certain genetic code, and when you go through life, you're influenced by your environment, and your environment can turn genes on and turn genes off. Your environment includes everything I talked about in your foundation of health, right? Your diet, your exercise, your detox, your mind and body, okay? Um, your epigenetics, your, 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 you can have epigenetic influences on your genes that can turn genes on and off. So some people have turned on genes or they're born, they're born with these genes and they've turned these genes on that basically help them live through what I call the cold European winter, okay? <laughs> and that mm-hmm. means that they store calories really efficiently because their ancestors were Russian and they lived in Siberia. And these folks know how to really be careful about burning calories in their metabolisms, okay? Whereas somebody who is, um, epig- who is genetically programmed to be a fast burner because of their parents, you know, they're, they're going to need to eat a very different diet than the person whose ancestors are from Russia and also a different diet based on what kind of environmental influences they've had in the life that they've been leading. So this idea that like a one-size-fits-all diet, right, everyone should be vegetarian, everyone should be vegan, everyone should eat paleo, everyone should eat, um, you know, uh, let's see, what are some other diets out there, Um, lacto-ovo, vegetarian, or, you know, that everyone should be off gluten, it just isn't true. And really what we need to do is find the diet that works for you and your body type 
and, you know, eliminate foods that you're maybe allergic to, such as um, having food intolerances or allergic to where you can have delayed reactivity. We need to also, bottom line, no matter what diet you're on, eat the cleanest food available to you. And that means eating as much organic produce as you can, making sure you do have a lot of vegetables in your diet. It seems like every single diet, if we think about it, every single diet that's out there, Every single one of them says vegetables are a good thing. So we already, so we know that for sure, right? It's just that we just don't know how much protein, what kind of protein is most bioavailable for that particular person and how much carbohydrate. Because, you know, I'm 120 pounds. I've been 120 pounds since I was in high school. I'm always 120 pounds. (laughs) And, you know, I eat carbohydrate. I eat protein. I eat chicken, right? I eat fish. I eat beef once in a while. I eat tons of salads and lots of greens. And and almost like no matter how much I work out or I don't work out, I'm 120 pounds. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm, like it mm-hmm. doesn't change. Um, and, and the diet that I eat is super clean. And I don't eat, you know, I'll eat chips once in a while because I feel like it, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm not eating them every day. Or I'll, it's my birthday. I'm going to have a treat at the restaurant. Are you kidding me? It's my birthday. Mm-hmm. I just don't think it's my birthday every day. So, you know, I think that the key thing when it comes to, protein, what kind of protein, fats, what kind of fats. I can say universally, everybody needs protein, but some people can extract protein from lentils better than other people. Some people do better with with, um, kind of animal protein-based diets. Mm -hmm. Perhaps blood type has something to do with it, with uh, Dr. Diadamo's work. I mean, Certainly, he has done a great deal of research in looking at that um, that possibility. But you know what? Dr. Diadamo's book didn't work for me. He says I'm AB positive. I can be vegetarian. Absolutely, I cannot be vegetarian. It like totally. I get skinny. I get sick. <laughs> you know, I'm not. I'm not a happy person. Um, and we can say absolutely that omega three fats and quality fats like um, even our medium chain triglycerides like coconut oil. We know for sure that those are great fats for for a lot of people. But if you eat too much coconut oil, you are going to gain weight. And here's why. Every gram of fat is nine calories. Every gram of protein or carb is four calories. So if you're eating carb, protein, and fats, and you're eating a ton of fat, like from the coconut oil, most likely you're going to start to see weight gain. So it also depends on your constitution, though. If you are a big fat burner, you probably you you might not get a you know start to experience a lot of weight gain. So again, I guess what I'm trying to say to your listeners is like it isn't a one size fits all, and that actually you need to look at your own constitutional type and work with your own diet and see what's going to work best for you to maintain your energy and vitality. And, you know, and, and bringing this all back to libido and sexuality, there is mm-hmm. no doubt that when people um, aren't eating right for, for their body type, they don't feel as well, and they don't have as much vital force, and they don't have as much sexual energy because they're exhausted all the time, because they're not getting the fuel they need or they're not getting the protein they need or or the amino acids to make, let's say, neurotransmitters, right? Like neurotransmitters are really important for mood. So I'm just trying to bring this all back to, to that concept that, um, you know, basically sexual energy is vital force. It's, it's, um, it's a creative force. And it's when you feel well, then you have libido. Yeah, I would agree with you there. Um, going back into hormones, and one of the things that I've noticed, too, is like when women get in their 20s, they start on the pill, the birth control pill. Oh, and yeah. now they have these, the IUDs, the copper IUDs, and, and all kind of other stuff. But what happens when you're on these 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 pills, when you're on these birth control pills? Because I don't think a lot of women understand. I know what happens because I've studied it and researched it. But can you talk a little bit about what, hap- what happens when women get on these pills? And even though, to me, it seems like it's great, yeah, you can have sex, you don't have to worry about getting pregnant, but then there's a double-edged sword to that. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Sure. Um, well, when women go on the birth control pill. Basically what they're doing is getting their, 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 their bodies are fooled into thinking that they're actually pregnant. Okay, so they get on the pill and the pill suppresses the pituitary and ovulatory function. Okay, so it stops the production of a woman's own hormones. Right, so 
the pill is a synthetic estrogen and it's a synthetic progesterone. So instead of the woman having her own estrogen from her own ovaries and her own progesterone through ovulation, she is now um, replacing that with synthetic hormones. Mm -hmm. And these synthetic hormones basically kind of shut down that part of her endocrine system, her hormonal system. There's research on birth control pills that there's some slight increase in breast cancer risk when you're on the pill. It appears that that risk goes away the further away they are from having taken the pill. I've seen that women on the pill, if short-term use is probably pretty safe, long-term use, I'm very concerned about their long-term fertility, and I've seen it in my own practice where women have been on the pill for 10, 12 years, and now they're 30 years old and they want to get pregnant, and they just can't. Like, it's like their ovaries don't turn back on. Um, I think that the pill for women that are in relationships where they absolutely cannot use any other method, and especially they're very young, um, maybe that's an okay choice because pregnancy is really not what we want to have happen, okay? I would prefer that my patients use barrier methods as much as they can, along with using calendar methods. Um, I'm concerned about these IUDs, um, the copper IUD in particular, because it's known that excessive amounts of copper in the system creates more um, oxidative stress, and oxidative mm -hmm. stress is um, related to free radical damage. Um, and we also know that that copper accumulates in the tissues of the uterus and um, creates kind of a pro-inflammatory, chronically irritated state, and hence uh, why they end up not carrying out a pregnancy when they have a copper IUD. They may, get, they may actually have an egg meet a sperm in the fallopian tube, but then the blastocyst kind of travels down the fallopian tube into the uterus, and the environment in the uterus is so inhospitable that you end up not having an implant, and so you end up not having a subsequent pregnancy. Um, the Marina IUD, a lot of patients have been on that. Um, since some women, they just don't have periods at all anymore, which they're like, yay, you know, this is great. I don't have any more periods. But um, I'm very concerned about the synthetic progesterone that it's releasing and the possibility of there being scarring to the uterus. Um, it's a foreign object. The string that does hang out of the cervix can act as a conduit for bacteria to go up into the uterus. Um, you know, I mean, I see that young women are stuck between a rock and a hard place in terms of what do I do because I really want good, solid birth control. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm glad that we have birth control available. And I can say that there's just no happy, perfect world in this regard. I mean, if we can have men wear condoms, that would be great. Um, but sometimes condoms also aren't 100% effective, right? And okay. So what I recommend to patients is that they do a combination of diaphragms and condoms or cervical caps and condoms, um, you know, but that isn't always um, something that both partners want to participate in. So, you know, I think short-term use of some of these methods is probably okay. It's long-term use I'm definitely concerned about. Yeah. You, <clears throat> excuse me. You mentioned bacteria, and I wanted to get into you see a lot of women having frequent uh, UTI, urinary tract infections, and uh, I used to sell an antibiotic, and that was one of the big things that the doctors would use for if there was it, it was if it was chronic. Um, but you also see a lot of women who suffer from yeast infections as well. Talk about how these things happen, and what are some of the methods that you might use because you're going to use a more natural method, being a, a natural path. But again, talk about how why these things happen and what you might use to kind of effectively combat them from, from yeah. ever coming back? That's a great question. You know, in my book, Great Sex Naturally, I do have a whole chapter on how women can maintain and support pelvic health because our pelvic health is really important to our libido because if we're getting a urinary tract infection after every act of sex or, or frequently, I mean, that, does, that really does put a 
damper on our libido. <laughs> and the same thing, and same thing with yeast infections or bacterial vaginosis, which means a bacterial infection in the vagina. And, and you know, some women they rotate between a yeast infection, then they take an antifungal, and then they get a urinary tract infection, and then they take an antibiotic, and then they get a yeast infection, and then they take an antibiotic, and then they get a bacterial vaginosis infection. I mean, I'm not kidding. Like, I have patients that have been on a merry-go-round of um, chronic infections. And let, let's just kind of dissect out why these things happen. So the first thing is, um, let's talk about a woman in perimenopause, because this is kind of your classic situation. She's in perimenopause, which means the time before menopause, or she's even like around menopause, okay, which is the last period plus a year without a period. And that particular patient her thinning, the tissues of the vagina and the vulva are getting thinner and drier because the vulva, the vagina, the urethra, the clitoris, the clitoral hood, all those structures are estrogen dependent. And so when estrogen levels start to decline, these tissues become thinner, they become drier, they become atrophic, they start to lose collagen. Okay, And when that happens, um, and, and then she has intercourse, the urethra it being, I'm sorry, but poor design God, like, could we at least put our urethra on our elbow or something? <laughs> I mean, the, the urethra is like right there at the opening of the vagina. And, um, you know, basically the penis will, t- will, be, be, will irritate that urethral opening. And it's prone to irritation because it's already thinner and drier. And bacteria that you're normally exposed to all the time now can invade that tissue and can create a urinary tract infection. So, um, that's a typical scenario for why women start to get UTIs, urinary tract infections, you know, in perimenopause. Second, then they take an antibiotic. The antibiotic then um, creates a potential for yeast overgrowth because the antibiotics kill friendly bacteria as well as unfriendly bacteria. And it's the friendly bacteria that kind of keep yeast in check. And so now we don't have the checks and balances in place, and so then yeast can thrive. So now they've got a yeast infection. So then they go and they take um, some kind of antifungal over-the-counter, or they take Diflucan, which is an oral medication, um, which affects the liver. But no one's replaced the good, friendly bacteria, right? So now they've gotten rid of the yeast. They've got, they don't have any good, friendly bacteria. So guess what happens? They get an overgrowth of normal commensal bacteria, which means normal, um, which means bacteria that's normal to your vagina, but it's just not normal in a high amount. So now there's nothing to keep the, uh, the, the, the bacteria in check, and it then starts to thrive. It's usually called Gardnerella, but there can also be, um, you know, uh, different types of beta-hemolytic strep, things like that that can occur in the vagina and then cause an overgrowth and then great it, create itching and irritation, and then they take an antibiotic again, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And then they still, have, they still don't have the friendly bacteria that's been put back in. And then if we really look at the situation, what women need in that age group is they really need something to hydrate and moisten the tissues of the vagina and the urethra, um, especially prior to sex. So using a good lubricant, something that has the right osmolality, which means the right pH and the right um, sodium balance in it um, can really help to hydrate the tissues as well as a little bit of estrogen if women are um, in a, if they're candidates to be able to take a little bit of estrogen called estriol. This estriol can help support, hydrate, and nurture the tissues of the vulva and the vagina and prevent this whole sequela of events. Now, women who come to me before they start to get the UTIs and the yeast and the bacterial vaginosis, if they're starting to have some pain with intercourse, they're starting to have to use a lubricant a lot more, I will give them preventively a, an estriol vaginal cream or estriol vaginal suppository to just mitigate the um, thinning and dehydration of the tissues of the vulva. And it is quite remarkable. It works wonders. It's um, what's great about estriol, and again, I write about this in the book, so if this is confusing to anybody, I've got charts and explains um, how estriol is a byproduct, actually, of estradiol. So estradiol is our strongest estrogen that converts to estrone, and then it converts down through this other compound called 16-hydroxyestrone over to estriol. So estriol, this weaker estrogen, is 72 times weaker than estradiol, so it has much fewer side effects. 
in terms of building up a lining of the uterus or creating breast tenderness or um, even contributing, you know, to uh, estrogen-related cancers. So it's a, it's a much weaker estrogen. And mm-hmm. I'll have women use it just even twice a week to help mitigate some of these um, issues. Now, for women that are younger, like in their 20s and 30s, and they're getting a lot of um, vaginitis, like yeast infections, I really need to look at their whole body. It's not just the vagina. It's not happening just there. Um, typically, these patients are drinking a lot more beer. They're eating a lot more sugar. Um, they're having a lot of sex. And the deal with um, semen is that it's quite alkaline. And the vagina likes to be a little bit more on the acidic side to keep the bacterial flora correct. And when things get too alkaline in the vagina, then they're much more prone to yeast issues and bacterial vaginosis, which we mentioned earlier. The more alkaline the vagina, the more likely these things are going to happen. So, um, you know, women that are eating a lot of sugar, we need to make sure that we treat not just the vaginal area, but we also want to make sure that we're treating the intestines. Um, And that means treating more systemic. But, you know, when we talk about systemic yeast, we're thinking someone's got um, auto, uh, 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 a situation where they've got, like, um, yeast in the, in the blood or something, and it's, it's a, um, a dangerous situation. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about somebody who's got a yeast overgrowth in their intestines, especially the colon. They've got a yeast overgrowth in their vaginas. And then we really want to do a whole detox on the intestines. We want to change the diet. We, we, you know what we want to do? We want to change their microbiome. This is the right terminology. The microbiome. This is a great word. And what it means is all the bacteria, all the flora, all the um, yeast and bacteria that a person has in their system creates a microbiome. And did you know we have more cells in this microbiome than we do in our entire body? I mean, that is, yeah. it's, it's this profound um, um, bacterial milieu that we have, and we can have a profound effect on it by what we eat, and we can take supplements and antifungal things to help um, eradicate this yeast systemically. Yeah, that's a new buzzword, the microbiome, everybody. Yeah, about <laughs> it is. Let's talk a little bit. You mentioned this about lubricants. And one of the things that I found, I did a YouTube video on this about um, four or five months ago about personal Oh, good for you. And it's something that I found out about a while ago. And a lot of these lubricants, they have a, some stuff that's not agreeable with the body. <laughs> You're <laughs> right. Talk a little bit about personal lubricants, and you give um, some great ones in the book. And actually, I've been using one called I've tried two that you you mentioned. One was the Yes, the personal lubricant, and then one was the Firefly, which I love Firefly. But um, talk a little bit about the importance of just using personal lubricants and what might be in them that people really don't know about. Oh yeah, great. Okay, so the deal with lubricants is that they can be filled with chemicals, and here's the catch: your your vulva and vagina and penis are mucous membranes, okay? Like they're, they have mucous membrane, right? The urethra, the vulva, the vagina, and mucous membranes are highly permeable. So that means that anything that is in these lubricants, your body can absorb them, right? Like your, your, your skin on your arm is, has a thicker dermis and it's much less likely to absorb everything that's in a product. But if you put something on your vulva or put it into the vagina, you are going to absorb it much more readily. So one of the problems I had with the Yes product is that it actually had phenoxyethanol in it. Um, I actually really, I I, I called the company, I talked to them. Um, They do have an oil-based lubricant that's actually pretty good, but their water-based lubricant had... um, yeah, some some things in it that weren't as good a choice as some of the other things. Um, yeah, and and one of the um, the other things to be thinking about is osmolality, which I mentioned earlier. And there are um, I don't know if your re- your listeners remember from biology class, but you if you have a, a membrane and you've got a lot of sodium on one side of the membrane and not a whole lot of sodium on the other what your body's going to do is try to equalize that, right? It's going to pull the sodium ions across to try to create um, equilibrium on either side of that membrane. So when people use certain lubricants, it can actually dry. It feels oily or it feels moist, but it can actually dry up your cells um, like little raisins rather than Mm -hmm. hydrating them and plumping them up. 
Okay, so you really want a lubricant that has the right osmolality, um, and another term is called osmolarity. Um, and one of the, I think one of the best lubricants on the market is called Aloe Cadabra, and then the other one is Good Clean Love. I think I think those two are really really good in terms of water-based lubricants. In terms of um, oil-based lubricants, I think the Firefly is a great lubricant as well. Um, and then I have a chart in here that talks about whether it's from organic ingredients, if it's um, free of potentially problem. Uh, potentially problematic ingredients? Is it water-based or latex-friendly? You know, one thing people should remember is like you really don't want to use oil-based lubricants with condoms, right? Because yeah. it will dissolve the, the condom. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So um, Alocadabra, I think, is one of the better ones. I think Firefly is also really great. Um, I think the Good Clean Love is a great product. And, you know, you've got to also find, you know, what works for you. There's also some really fun uh, edible lubricants that you can use. The key thing for women is you don't want ones that have a lot of honey in them or any kind of sugar or glycerin because these things can really promote the growth of yeast. Um, and you just don't want that. <laughs> it's just not – that yeah. just isn't that much fun. Yeah, um, you, don't, you don't want that. Um, no, we don't want that. And then there's some really cool, like, stimulating lubricants. You know, I through my office, I actually sell the Zestra, which has been shown to enhance sexual response in women. And, and, you know, women need to know about this, and guys need to know about it too because these are really great products. And, um, you know, they definitely enhance clitoral stimulation. Um, some can be a little hotter than others. So you've got to really kind of check them out, maybe buy samples and, and you know, and try them and see what works for you. Yeah, I like I said, I've I've done Firefly. The only thing I, I really don't like about the Firefly is it tends to stain. So if you're you know one of those anal people and you don't like staining, then you might <laughs> stay away from. But other than that, it's right, a, right, right, right. It's like your sheets, really, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a really great lubricant. Other than besides that, um, the last thing I didn't want to keep you past an hour. But I wanted to just talk about some aphrodisiac. Originally, when I contacted you, I contacted you about dark chocolate, and I wanted you to talk a little bit about that and how it might, you know, help with enhancing or enhancing someone's uh, sexual life. And then um, maybe some other aphrodisiacs that you can use for male and and females to enhance, you know, your sex life. Some supplements or things of that nature. Yeah. Well, sure. You know. Um Okay, so let's just talk a little bit about the chocolate because it is so much fun and people love chocolate. Um, You know, chocolate's high in something called phenylethylamine. And, you know, your body or your brain actually releases phenylethylamine when you have an orgasm or when you fall in love. And Uh um, I think that a lot of people are really attracted to chocolate because of the the little kick they get, you know, from the PEA that's in there, that phenylethylamine is abbreviated PEA. So, you know, chocolate also has some incredible flavonoids in it that can help with heart health. And um, there are some reasons why chocolate may not be the best thing for some people, especially for women, um, because of the methyl xanthine that's in there, it could increase risk of breast cysts. So if you're doing a lot of caffeine already and then you're, you know, adding in a lot of chocolate, you know, you could get more cystic type of breasts. Um, and then the caffeine piece, you know, some people do okay with caffeine. Some people don't do well with it at all. But, um, you know, I think overall I think it's a super libido food. And I think that, um, you know, for people that can buy, oh, you know, there's a really great chocolate out there that's sweetened with stevia. Um, I think it's called Lily. And so, you know, the the other thing is you just don't want to get all that sugar, right? Because if you do eat all that sugar, you're going to grow more yeast, you're going to feel tired, you're going to gain weight, you know, (laughs) and you're going to kind of get on that whole sugar train and not feel so good. Um, In terms of of supplements, you know, one of my favorite over-the-counter, I don't make any money selling this or anything. I just send people to GNC to get it. Um, It's called Argin Max for women. This is a really fabulous um, herbal aphrodisiac for women because it contains L-arginine, which vasodilates the blood vessels, which include the blood vessels of the vulva, ginseng, um, it's a Korean ginseng, so it's a very warming herb, ginkgo biloba, which is, enhances circulation, contains damiana, which is an herb, I think it was originated in Mexico, and it was used by the natives there as a sexual enhancement 
product. But, you know, most of these sexual enhancers, what they do is they vasodilate, which means to open up the blood vessels. Um, and that way they kind of enhance circulation, increase nitric oxide, that kind of thing. Um, and it also contains some vitamins and minerals. So, I mean, that product in particular with my patients I've seen to be actually really quite good. Um, that nitric oxide, that's important for men and women because I, I've noticed that they, they, they tend to use that term for men when it comes to bodybuilding, but it's also important for men too as well for to create to create the erection, correct? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. In fact, almost all of the ED or erectile dysfunction formulas that are on the market have herbs in them or have compounds like L-arginine in them that uh-huh. can help to increase nitric oxide. There's a very famous herb called horny goatweed <laughs> yeah, <laughs> from yeah, Chinese medicine. <laughs> and you know what? That one works in the same way. It increases nitric oxide, and it's considered a, a very strongly yang energy type herb. Um, you know, think of yang as hot, energetic, daytime, male, um, you know, circulation. Um, and, you know, men can use this herb very easily and very well and not really have too many side effects, but women, this tends to make them too hot in terms of um, they sweat more, they have more hot flashes, they they actually feel more agitated and anxious on epimedium or horny goat weed. But men tend to use this herb very, very well, and especially if it's combined with ginseng and maybe even a little bit of a softer herb like romania, which is a yin, more of a yin herb. So, you know, men have a little bit more... Um, because men tend to be, well, they're young anyway, men um, tend to do very well with these herbal aphrodisiacs, and they can kind of take them as needed. Women, in contrast, like, we kind of need to fortify our libido over time and to build it and to nurture it. And so for women, I would actually have them take a formula not just as needed, but I would have them use it more over a period of time to help build both their yin and yang energies because they don't need mm-hmm. to just build yang. They need to actually build that sort of feminine energy as well yeah um with the supplements because i know someone's out there listening and people will be like oh i'm going to get the horny goat weed and they see it at walmart <laughs> but <laughs> you never want to get your supplements at walmart are there any brands that you can recommend that are going to be high quality supplements because i seen the thing when people listen to stuff because i used to be like this before i knew anything about health i just thought that horny goat weed was horny goat weed when i saw it at I mean, they used to sell it in a convenience store on top of the counter. It's like, oh, all horny goat weed is the same. But what, give us a guide on some, some supplements as far as quality what, or a brand or, or something for people out there that are listening to the to podcast. Okay, so there's um, – oh, what's it called? I'm, I'm sorry. I'm flipping through my book to get the exact name. There's a really great product out there um, for men and for women – and I just, I'm sorry, the, the, I'm blanking on it at the moment. That's okay. Because I, I do, the, I do it, the same thing when I'm on air. I tend to forget everything until I'm off air, so don't worry about it. Well, I think, I think it's Hot Herbs for Him. That's what it is, uh-huh. Hot Herbs for Him. Yeah. I'm writing that down. Okay. Yeah, Hot Herbs for Him. And, and if I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to email you afterwards. If okay. it has, has a different name, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it's called Hot Herbs for Him. I think that's a great product over the counter. And the key thing, guys, if you're listening to this, like Epimedium by itself shouldn't be taken. I really think it needs to be balanced with other herbs. I think that's the key thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, Epimedium? Okay. Oh, I'm sorry, Horny Goat Weed is also known as oh, Epimedium. Okay. That's the other okay. name for it. Yeah, and like Yohimbine, for instance, I mean, uh-huh. that's definitely an incredible herb, but you've got to be really careful with it, you know? And, um, yeah, and, and, and if you're I, – I would, I would actually use that herb under the guidance of somebody else. Um, in, in my book, Great Sex Naturally, I do have a whole chapter on men's health that mm-hmm. I think, you know, if men want to have more guidance, like, you know, how do I use ginkgo or what about tribulus, terrestris, like I think that's a great herb for men. Um, there's some suggestion that it could increase testosterone in men. And, you know, the, the key thing, guys, when you're looking at um, using herbs for yourself, these are there, there are herbs that um, basically to increase your testosterone, you need to decrease stress because if you are burning the candle at both ends, you are going to burn through your testosterone and you're going to be cranking up cortisol. Your testosterone is not going to stay as testosterone. It's going to move into, it's going to, you're just going to shunt everything into cortisol. Mm-hmm. So 
the key thing to boost your testosterone is you need to exercise, you need to eat well, you need to get enough sleep. And, you know, that in turn will really, really help. If you overstimulate yourself by taking too much epimedium, you're going to actually get the opposite effect. Does that make sense? You're going to burn yourself out. That makes a lot of sense because you're seeing a lot of uh, gentlemen or men in their 20s who are having problems with getting an erection because they don't have enough testosterone. Um, Last question for you, uh, Dr. Steele-Smith. I've heard various opinions on bioidentical hormones. Some people say they're good. Some people say they're they're bad. And I just wanted to get your opinion on them because I know that you're seeing, you know, your population, your patient population come in and you might be using these things. What have you seen? Because I'm always about okay. real life and not about opinions and what people write. Yeah. Well, I have been using bioidentical hormones with my patients and myself, well, now my, not myself for 23 years, but um, I'm 52 now, so the last few years I've been using bioidentical estrogen as well as progesterone. It has helped me sail through perimenopause, um, and I do use, I use bioidentical hormones. And I think for men, a bioidentical hormone um, of testosterone and specifically testosterone pellet therapy for men if they need it, if their testosterone levels are below like 400, absolutely they should be using testosterone and or they need to be working on their adrenal glands and getting their lifestyle and shape and decreasing their, their estrogen. You know, women with those, I'm sorry, men with those beer bellies, they have a lot of estrogen. They do yes. not have a lot of testosterone. Yes. Um, and, and, and just FYI, that herbal formula is called Hot Plants for Him. I just, I okay. just found it. It is hot plants for him. Okay, it has a okay. lot of Chinese ginseng in it. Has epimedium, rhodiola, yohimbine bark, maca. So it's a nice formula already put together for you. Okay, so that that's actually a fabulous formula for men. Um, yeah. So um, I think that hormone replacement therapy, when used in biological doses, meaning the lowest possible dose to get the greatest therapeutic effect, can be can make profound changes in a woman's libido, in a man's libido in how they feel, can really help mitigate some of the um, issues around perimenopause, can help women in their 30s when they're starting to get all that PMS and they don't have enough progesterone because they're not putting out a robust corpus luteum. Um, but again, we don't want super physiologic doses. We don't want synthetic hormones like in birth control pills. What we want are hormones that are identical to your own hormones in your own body, lowest possible dose to get the greatest therapeutic effects. And it just creates health. <laughs> it creates yeah. health. And you're not increasing your risks of breast cancer significantly. You are increasing it somewhat, okay? That's one of the biggest fears for women. You're increasing it somewhat just because estrogen can act as a fuel to a fire that's already started, meaning cancer starts somewhere, and Mm -hmm. estrogen can um, trigger estrogen-sensitive cells to proliferate. But if we're using this conscientiously and we're testing, meaning that we're testing how well your liver is detoxifying these hormones and you're taking certain supplements like calcium deglucurate and I3C or DIM or indole 3 carbonyl from cruciferous vegetables, taking your fish oils, taking your evening primrose oil, you know, you can mitigate the side effects of the estrogen. And remember, cancer doesn't come just from your hormones, okay? Cancer comes from a dysregulated immune system. And to prevent cancer, you want to regulate your immune system, and you can do that by that foundation of health that we talked about originally, right? Your diet, your exercise, your detox, and sleep, mind, emotional, your mind and body piece. Yeah, it's it's all holistic. Um, anything else that you wanted to add before we before I let you go here? Well, I think that you know, if people have questions, they can go ahead and email me at my website, which is drsteelsmith.com or drsteelsmith.com. Um, feel free to pick up my book, Great Sex Naturally, if you're interested in learning more about how to promote sexual health and wellness in yourself and your partner. Um, and my other book is called Natural Choices for Women's Health. That is you know, really my heart and soul is in that book. That one, um, you know, kind of walks a woman through 10 specific areas of her body and teaches her how to create health in each of those areas. Yeah, and did you mention your website? Because I know you had uh, your website because I went on there today, but I didn't write it down. So can you give them oh, your sure. website again? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. So it's um, so the email would be info at drsteelsmith.com, and my website is just drsteelsmith.com. 
Yeah. And do you do consultations via Skype or anything like that? You know, I legally can't because of my malpractice. So if you're in Hawaii, I'd love to see you. (laughs) But if you also, you know, if you're interested in seeing a naturopathic doctor who is licensed and trained and went through a four-year, you know, accredited medical school, um, I would go to naturopathic.org, N-A-T-U-R, O-P-A-T-H-I-C dot org and seek out a really good naturopathic physician through that site. Okay, great. Dr. Steele Smith, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for uh, coming on. Really appreciate it. Oh, it's been my pleasure, really. Thank you for having me. Okay. Have a good evening. You too. Bye-bye. All right, we only skim the book because the book has a lot of great things in here and normally when I interview, I I don't try to give out the whole book because I, I think that um, you know, it's a disservice. And for me, uh, I, I really like reading about health and and uh, putting things into action and really understanding things. But the book is called Great Sex Naturally. It's available on Amazon if you want to go and get it from Amazon. Really good book to learn about hormones and learn about all the things that are out there that might help you or assist you in having that great sex life. Next week, we're going to have, I think on Monday, we have... Um, Dr. Anada, I think her name is Dr. Um, not a, not she's not a doctor, but she's a, a herbalist, and her name is Anada. I'm not even going to try to pronounce the, the, the last name, but she'll be on Monday, uh, same fat time, same fat channel. Hope you enjoyed the show tonight. Um, really, like I said, really good book, and just learn about sex. Sex is one of those topics I think people don't really like to discuss, but we are we are all having sex, and most of us want to enjoy it. So. Again, uh, if you can, go and pick up the book from Dr. Lori Steele-Smith and her husband, Alex Steele-Smith. It's called Great Sex Naturally. See you Monday, same fat time, same fat channel. Good night.